Welcome to Tiny House Tales, a podcast about the experiences of people who have joined the tiny house movement. I'm John Weisbarth. And I'm Zach Giffen. Enjoy as we give listeners a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the absolute joys and inherent challenges of living tiny. Together, we'll seek to unlock the successful strategies for minimalist living and learn more about how tiny living has made a big impact on people's lives. Entertaining and informative. Tiny House Tales is mandatory listening for anyone who has ever dreamed of downsizing or has simply craved a more simple lifestyle. Welcome to Tiny House Tales. Nailed it. Zach, we made it. Yeah. We're here. We finally are here. In the podcast universe. I know. I feel like half of the battle is just showing up. Well, we're here now. Oh, gosh. So good to be here. Welcome to Tiny House Tales. I'm John Weisbart. That's Zach Giffen. Yeah, your voice sounds so good. You know what? This is the first time you've had a decent microphone in a while, and you sound excellent as well. Oh, it's the dulcimer tones, That's actually what this whole podcast is. It's just Zach and I talking to each other, saying, oh, you sound so good. No, you sound better. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Oh, man. So we're super excited to talk over each other. You can tell we're, we're still figuring this all out. Zach, what is this show? What are we doing here? What are your hopes and dreams for it all? This is Tiny House Tales, John. And my hopes and dreams are just to be able to explore everybody's tales that brought them to tiny home living or to be part of the movement in some way and uh, to talk to you, essentially. Just a good excuse to hang out with my pal, John Weisbarth. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and I agree, right? The, the, the name of the show is Tiny House Tales, and that is our theory. Our theory is let's tell some of those tales. And I think there's going to be a lot of different tales to tell. I think what we're excited about is talking to people that were able to sort of leverage the tiny house, use it as a tool, what their story was, what their journey yes. was. I think we're going to talk about maybe some building techniques. I mean, building techniques sounds so boring. Let's call it like Zach hacks. Let's talk, you know, it, it'll be like, I don't know, maybe up and coming new cool ways to think about tiny house design and getting into some of the process that, that you had through the show and, the, uh, and like just like thinking about how to make each space uniquely yours. Yeah. Does that sound interesting well, to you? Well, I'm hoping that we're going to get into some build stuff, you know, but I think that's the beauty of telling stories is that, you know, you get into the story and naturally as they got into the build stuff, then you get to explore that journey with them. But, you know, really, I'm very much more interested in learning about people's lifestyle hacks, essentially, you know, what worked for them when they went down that path, Sure. what were the roadblocks that they encountered, how they ended up uh, accounting for it all and, and, and what worked. So picking apart their stories, also learning the lessons yeah. of that journey. Nice, but doing it in a way that's less boring than how you just explained totally. it. And that's why you're here. You got to back kidding. me up, John. <laughs> I'm that's how this is. No, this is the beauty of our partnership is you get to pull me out of the weeds because I so quickly find myself in there. So that's your job. Oh my God, I know. I used to call you the backpack. It's put you on the back, carry you out of the weeds. But we have to have the fun. We have to have the substance as well. And we were thinking a great way to do this episode and a great way to you know kick off the beginning of, of the podcast is to talk a little bit about our journey, our tale through Tiny House Nation. And the best way to do that was not for just you and I to sit around and talk about it, though that would be good. We figured a better way would be to bring in 
our old pal, our longtime director of photography, the captain of our pirate ship as we were navigating Tiny House Nation for many, many years, uh, our dear friend, Gavin Brennan. Gavin, thank you so much for being here and so stoked to see you, buddy. Hey, guys. I'm really honored to be here. And, and it's so exciting after all these years that the great ship Tiny House is still setting sail for new directions and with new crew upon it. And, and I'm so proud to be part of them, to have met you as friends and be part of this incredible movement that you guys helped develop. It's, it's been an extraordinary ride with marvelous people on the way. So for all the people listening here, you know, Gavin Brennan is essentially just such a cornerstone member of the Tiny House Nation team. And he was there right from the beginning and being responsible as director of photography. You're the one that's responsible for capturing the images that are eventually going to be used to tell the story. And so you're very much in the director's seat in that capacity. And you got to see everything. You got to see what got on the camera and you I got did. to see the behind the scenes. And so that's why you're such a great guest. Plus, we love your voice. What's wrong with your voice, by the way? Well, yeah, my voice is certainly, we do love my voice. We do love my voice. It's uh, Irish Australian, tinged with American. You know, the classic, the classic Irish Australian. <laughs> yes, it's a classic with uh, thickened by years of whiskey use. And I would like to say that, honestly, it's just been a joy to watch you guys work and bring this story to the world. about and and show the trials and tribulations of building a home, which are never easy. There's a lot of aspects to it. And I feel like the show really captured a lot of that, you know, from down from what insulation to use to what's the best, what's the best way to tow uh, a tiny house or what's the best way to have dis- waste disposal. And, and I felt like there wasn't one aspect of living that wasn't brought up or challenged or discussed in the tiny house project, both sleeping arrangements, cooking arrangements, you know, toilet arrangements, you know, and, and, and how does how do they impact our lives and impact the world? And you guys navigated that so beautifully. And it was my joy to learn and grow with with the movement. Well, same same goes to you, Gabsy. And so where I think I kind of want to start is almost right before we all uh, gained each other's acquaintances and before we started on Tiny House Nation and just get a little idea of kind of where you were prior, right before coming to Tiny House Nation, because I think for you and I, really our first meaningful exposure for sure to the Tiny House movement was through this show. Now, Zach was different. He was already forging that path and and came to it. But I know for me, it was very much, uh, you know, dropped into the deep end and getting that education sort of in the real world, like not reading about it, not hearing about it, actually being out there and doing it. So I'm curious for you, you know, the month prior to Tiny House Nation came on your on your radar and you started doing it. Where were you at in your life, in your career? What was what was going on as you entered the uh, the Tiny House family? You know, I, I was filming. I'm a freelance cameraman and I, I was director of photography on a show called Storage Wars. And then I was, you know, after a number of seasons of that, I was getting bored with it and looking for a new angle. And then Sean Witt from ITV contacted me because I'd done a pilot for him about a preacher who is a car racer and he preaches to people and while driving at high speeds and doing donuts. So I was doing that and then of I course. finished that and then I got, and I was, and I do a lot of swimming and diving and just general LA Californian stuff. And then I was asked to come out and shoot in uh, New England for our very first one uh, with the Camosis. 
And, you know, there we decided, you know, it wasn't a house we were building, it was a home. And I felt like I remember that the Camoses, and I, I think I gave a speech that night, I think Zach might remember, and I made words of such intent that this family showed us that we were building homes, not, not houses. And I felt that's a really key thing because this is every corner of these homes are going to be used and loved and cared for and cherished. And uh, I felt that that was our first step and foray into it. Though I'd been a you know, hippie for a long time and been around small homes, I didn't know that there was a word for my love, <laughs> which is small homes. And I, I live in a small home in Los Angeles with my wife and two children. And it would, you know, and it's not big at all. And we share a bathroom and, you know, realizing that having enough is more than enough, you know, and the psychology and the philosophy behind it. And Zach was this hood ornament that came along. And how could you not want to join Zach's pirates, you know, like with his ideological bent towards better living, better living outside, better being a better human. And I think, you know, the tiny house world embodies all of that, eschewing too much and saying, I have enough. Well, I think that when I first met you, Gavin, I definitely felt a kind of kindred spirit. And I think really when I look back and I identify where that kind of came from is that I talk a lot about the ski community that I was a part of as being really a big reason that I kind of went in the direction of minimalism and, and tiny homes. And I found that. And it's, it's skiing is very much similar to the community that's associated with diving, right? Or with surfing. Or yes. with all of these kind of outdoor kind of expressions, like there is some overlap in terms of the culture. And it's like, without being able to kind of, you know, contain it too much or, or put it in a package, I can't, I'm going to call it like the dirtbag culture. You know, it's, it's this understanding yep. that you're <laughs> like, you're paring down on what a lot of people think of as like, you know, mandatory for your life, these elements. But what the trade-off is, is this experience is being able to pursue this sport or this activity that you find is, you know, so meaningful for your life. And so, you know, instantly when I met Gavin and the part that I think that wasn't really introduced is that like Gavin was this person who had just this vast array of life experience from all these different places. Right. And, uh, so he, he wasn't just on storage wars. He was also a director of photography on, um, deadliest catch and ice road truckers. And he had been, you know, in the middle East into like hundreds of foreign countries and scuba dived around the world. Like in my mind, when I met him, he was like in competition for being the most interesting man on the world. And then when we did meet him <laughs> and he, and he also had this natural leadership ability that was kind of almost exemplified by the way that he would get up in front of everyone and kind of orotate what it was about and helped us really kind of helped other people that weren't really on that, on that page with you and didn't have that background really get the gravity of what tiny homes were really about the significance. And I think you helped to kind of allow the rest of the, of the crew that we were with to really feel that gravity so that people could become passionate about it. So you did more than just kind of like steer the ship of the pirates. You were also a huge piece of the motivation that caused everybody to, I think. The wind in the sails, a big part of the wind in the sails, just to keep the sailing analogy going. I think a lot of that also stemmed from, we decided early on that we were going to all eat together and barbecue. And I realized that this building of homes is one thing and doing work on TV shows is another, but when you sit and eat and cook and make dinner together, it brings us together. It, 
it, it's a truly unifying experience when you eat together on a regular basis. And that's why maybe how families are forged and formed, you know, why dinners become so important, why chefs are now, you know, the icons of our century, because it's maybe the last way we can communicate as a group of people when we're sitting around and eating and looking at each other. And I feel it drew us together as a very tight family. And when we had one of our team members pass, Nate, you know, we drew us all closer together and realized how powerful and important what each of us were to each other in this life. And, and certainly Tiny House became a very much a family for all of us for those years. And that's a funny thing. In a tiny house, even though we're making tiny house, there's room enough for everybody. You know, there's somehow always room for everybody in the tiny house. I think that's such a good point, the eating together. Because the part that we haven't really mentioned yet is that that first episode you're talking about, I wasn't there. I was not the, I was not the original host. I didn't come on until episode two. And that was in Tennessee. And Gavin, I remember so specifically one day you were like late coming back from the shoot because we all had different vans and we and we're like, where is where's Gavin? And you showed up with a barbecue, <laughs> like an old Weber barbecue that you'd bought at Walmart. Yep. Because you're like, the food here is terrible. We're going to barbecue in the parking lot. Yes. And I think that first episode, I think we barbecued maybe every single night. But you're exactly right. Because what people don't understand, I think, about doing a show like this is that we don't all work at the same place or know each other. It's a bunch of strangers coming together and having to make this cohesive team and do, you know, perform an art form that is so collaborative, but without the experience of having known each other in the beginning. And, you know, I've done some other things and I've talked to a lot of people and the idea of like everyone sitting together and eating together is not normal. It's not the usual. People usually come back, they go to the rooms, maybe one or two go off and eat and you're sequestered. And you set this tone of all of us together sitting around in the parking lot of these Holiday Inn Expresses, wherever we were around the country, and that never ended. You were there for you were there for 70 plus episodes yeah. if you count the specials. And even after you were gone, we kept it, it was so ingrained in the tiny house culture. The last 14 episodes we did, we did the same thing. We had at least one barbecue every town, every episode that we were in. And that did so much to bring us together. And it's so cliche to say it was like a family. You hear that, right? But it was. And I think the proof is in the pudding because of how we all are still connected. And that was such a great thing that you did. And I do, the show is not an easy show to do. And I think the fact that we were all on the same side and we're all, you know, like a family that could get mad at each other every once in a while, but loved each other. And I think that made all the difference. And I think it showed in the final product. I think that people can see that in Tiny Home Nation that there was passion behind it. I think that probably John and I deserve too much of the credit for that. You know, we're kind of the the people that get seen. Speak for yourself, Zach. I'll take all the credit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. John doesn't get enough credit. I probably get too much. And uh, <laughs> the the rest of the crew behind the, the show doesn't get nearly enough. And And what I do know is that, you know, I felt very much that I was just going to give all of the, all of the energy that I could, right. I wasn't going to set any limits on kind of, Oh, I'm only getting paid this much or, or this and that. And I think that typically in a production environment, you know, 
everybody's passionate about what they're doing, but they're not always passionate about the subject matter. And it, and it means that people just kind of give like the energy level that they think that they should. I think on our show, we had a whole team that kind of threw that whole idea out the window and just wanted to do the best job possible, regardless of how much they were getting paid. Yep. And, uh, and everybody like put in extra effort. And I think that that is what people recognized at the, the final product. But I, but I think that that extra effort was only made possible because the crew was as tight as we were, right? And there was a leadership kind of that did kind of instill that this is something that's important. So yeah, I do. I think, I think that that was a big piece. I would have to say, Zach, that your work ethic was extraordinary. There wasn't too much effort that you weren't going to put in. You were going to do the roofing. You were going to make the furniture. Hell, you even made people swing bikes that we didn't even film <laughs> because you felt that that was an appropriate gift for them to show your love or an aspect to the project that was beyond the brand, the boundaries of what was expected of you, but you went beyond above and beyond anything that anybody would ever do for any job. And and I think I've still carry that that with me to this day. This this work ethic and love of people around you, you know. And I think you were truly that glue that brought everyone that made everyone feel like they could do better and be better. I would say that we were so lucky to have Zach, to have you, Gavin, and to have Jessica. Jessica, hands down, yes. And Jessica, who we're talking about, she was our, well, she, early on, she was kind of everything. Everything. She was brought in as the art director. She took on so much more than that. But at the end of the day, she understood that the real star of the show was the tiny house. And that if the tiny house didn't look good at the end, at the reveal, then we had nothing. Didn't matter how cool of uh, furniture Zach built didn't matter what the story was about the family. If, if you don't get that payoff at the end, you know, if it doesn't look good, Gavin can only shoot what's there in front of him. And so the fact that she understood that I think went a long way, but truthfully, the work ethic that Zach put in is second to none. I mean, no one's ever done that. I mean, I would say easily worked twice as hard as I did. But Gavin, having your leadership and you making sure that everyone knew, I mean, you can be good time, Charlie, right? And that's what's so great. But when it came to reveal day, and we were talking about this before we started it, you were on it and everyone understood that you expected nothing but the best and everyone gave their best because to Zach's point, we were all a family. But so I think having the three of you set the tone and made it very easy for the rest of us to fall in line and to follow that. And so- I, I super appreciate that. Well, thank you. I love that so far this podcast is just us all complimenting <laughs> each other and saying how great our show was. <laughs> it's important to start the opening salvo with some love. You know, that's a really big sure. thing. We can go later into the, the few things that we, traditions we have, like pushing, slamming cake in each other's face <laughs> for birthday. Oh, Gav, do you remember the time when we were in Gulfport, Mississippi, and you smashed me in the face with cake? Yeah, but it was an ice cream cake. I put the cake right in your face. And wow. Yeah, there might have been actually some hurt feelings over that. There were hit, hurt eyeballs. <laughs> I was like, I got eyeballs full of cake. And I was like, it was like a Christmas party. We were like basically doing our own Christmas party at the hotel. <laughs> oh, I was so, that was when we were a real family. That's when I was like, I love you, Gavin, but I'm not in love with you right now. <laughs> Well, you know, I have I have toned down my birthday party fun times because of that. So, you know. But even that started on the very first episode because it was Zach's birthday or my first episode. It was Zach's birthday in Tennessee. 
And I got pictures of, of you smashing Zach and all of our faces with cake. Oh, I know. It was so funny. And that's why you, that's because you guys won the, you guys were winning the beer pong. And that's why they call us the talent department. <laughs> that was later. That was my birthday. But yes, that was, that was Zach's best line ever. And again, it was Jessica who set that up. It was my birthday. And I remember like the year before, you know, no one knew it was my birthday. I was going through like a crisis of being away from the family. And I was so sad. And I was missing my little boy, Jake, who was like, you know, not even two at the time and missing my wife and on the road and blah, blah, blah. And no one knew it was my birthday. And so the next year, Jessica, like, you know, like took her hotel room, turned it into this whole thing. And it was beer pong and Zach and I taking everyone on taking on camera department, taking on art department, you know, and we just couldn't lose Zach. <laughs> and at one point, Zach just goes, that's why we're called the talent department. <laughs> that's true. That was a great moment in, 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 you know, in hubris. But yes, because you guys had crushed everybody one by one. Bam, bam, bam. You're next. Who's next? Boom, boom, boom. Next. That was the birth of one of our greatest inside jokes was John and I screaming about yes, being the talent, talent department. department. Yeah, there's, you know, there there was a number of, of good ones. John, I think back in the day, which deserves comment, is that when John first showed up, he had this like kind of joke imaginary assistant that he would scream at when it, when it, oh. like something went wrong in John's life. Rebecca, and, he, and it was her name was Rebecca. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was legitimately people that like thought that John actually had like a real assistant that he was screaming at. And just was, we're completely convinced John was just like the total typical Hollywood monster. And I loved it. Gav, do you remember my coffee order? Yes, with half, half, and half, and half whole. Half, half, and half, and half whole. Exactly. It still uses it to this day. It's so good. It's, it's so- such a good line, John. And I must say, oh you know, the big picture is just that, you know, we had all these great times and we had such, there's such an array of beautiful crew, you know, with Corey Wimbley, Tremaine Hamilton, that was there. You know, Patrick Simpson was the cameraman that came through. We had some really interesting sound people that came through, you know. Kiwi. <laughs> um, yeah, the sound department was always a bit an odd group. And the- Always is. Always that's is. Just, always that's... is. Okay, so so we're talking about the different people. I'd like us to break down what the crew actually looks like to give people an idea of this, right? Because we're talking about the different crew. So you pretty much when Gavin was talking- Corey Wimberly looks like? No, no, okay, but we, what, like... we were like 12 12- 12, 14 people. What was the total max of the crew? And, you know, everywhere we went, we had a new sound guy. So that was kind of fun. And then we'd go back to the same corner of the country and we'd have the same sound guy and it'd just be this big reunion. So, but yeah, pretty much, you know, what, like uh, three cameramen? Two, two cameramen. So we had an assistant? An assistant. Yeah. Right. And a Woody. Two cameramen and a Woody. (laughs) Woody. So Woody is another great character of the Tiny House Nation family who was a uh, river raft guide on our third episode that we filmed. And and, uh, yeah, Gavin, you met him somehow. And then before we know it, he's uh, helping out. And then he's on the road with us. Yeah, I adopted adopted Woody living in the forest. He was literally living in in a school bus. in in, In a little area called Ewok Village. It was in the forest where all the other river rafting guides were living. In Irwin, Tennessee, who, before we came to town, was most famous for having hung an elephant. Yes. From the train. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. That was its highlight of its history. Well, it was a beautiful place. Well, and, and that brings me back to my point about dirtbags, because, you know, it's like Woody 
was a natural fit for the tiny home family. And why? Because he was a river raft guide and he was right in the midst of that kind of dirtbag lifestyle that just made it super easy for him to kind of shift around. And that's one of the beautiful things that I think about in terms of living in kind of a minimalist capacity is it makes you really flexible so that when something happens, like a band of pirates, like tiny house nation shows up and you're living in a school bus and you want to be a photographer, you get to just jump on that opportunity. And that's exactly what Woody did. Yeah. And we had some great producers. We had a series of producers and they're the behind scenes people that coordinate families and equipment and, 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 uh, you know, where we might go and visit a local tradesman or a local craftsman for something for the house. So those producers were very good and, and you know, and integral to making our show go. Um, we went through several different directors. Yeah, like seven in the first 13 episodes before we landed on Brenton. One which we was really good and then he smashed his knee, River Raft. You helped smash his knee. Yeah, I was involved with that. That is true. But, <laughs> but I did not do the smashing. No. We had to evac him down two-hour river ride through the river with him with a smashed open knee. Woody was there. Woody Woody was was the river guy. That was when I decided I will hire Woody because he was really useful. (laughs) (laughs) Former former Eagle Scout. At one point, we had three Eagle Scouts. It was Woody. There was Craig. And then there was Sound Guy from up north. Oregon. Oh, come on. Always hire an Eagle Scout. They're great people to have around. You don't know. You might need to fire to be tended for 24 hours. They'll do it. That's right. That's right. So guys, I'd like to transition a little bit into the tiny house movement. Not that we have to stop talking about the show by any means, but you know, in a lot of ways, so I was very new to the tiny house movement. Gav, I think you were pretty new to it. Zach had built his own tiny house, was already making tiny house films, doing his part of skiing. But we were... At this point in 2014, when we started the show, where if you said a tiny house to the layperson, they'd be like, oh, you mean for like little people? You're like, no, like a normal sized people, just a small house. If you say tiny house now, everybody knows what it is. Yeah. Right. And I do think that while we don't deserve any credit for starting this movement, because we certainly did not, I do think that we did a, had a lot to do with normalizing it and presenting it to a wider audience. And what I'm kind of curious, Gav, hearing your perspective is knowing where we were in the very beginning to where we transitioned in terms of the tiny house movement during the show and to even where it is now. How have you seen it grow? How have you seen it improve? What has been the the path, the journey of this of this tiny house movement from your perspective? My perspective is certainly that it's taken root all around the world. It's given a lot of people a new lease on hope that there's a house or a home for them that they can feel comfortable in. And it doesn't have to f- pertain to having four or five bedrooms and three bathrooms, that there's a great joy in just having your own walls and your own space and and not have and and to have that independence. And I think it's given a voice. Or a, a, a word to people to wrap their head around, like, oh, it's a tiny house. It's a tiny home. That's all. It's nothing missing. It's just smaller. And I think, you know, my friends who live in Switzerland or buddies in Australia, they've all been doing that. They've all been working, like, how do I simplify my life? And here's a way that they can do it. And maybe it wasn't for my friends forever, but certainly it suited their lifestyle for five, six years while they were between relationships or between jobs or while 
exploring a new pathway in their life, you know, whatever that might be, you know, going to study or really focus on their sport. And I think what the Tiny House Nation or the Tiny House Movement certainly has done is given people a canoe to put their dreams to float along with, you know? It always comes back to canoes. It all, everything does. I can row a boat, canoe. And canoe has the same letters <laughs> as ocean. Ah. Oh. I love that, Gavin. Whatever happened to our bumper sticker business? We were going to do a bumper sticker business and it was going to be all like, remember it was like my other car is a tiny house. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think was one of them. Water is okay to drink too. Yeah, yeah water is okay. Or tap, tap water is okay, okay also. Hey, relax, it's still okay. That's all right. these things that we should be, you know, just enough for people to get along to the next block with, without having some existential crisis inside their mind. But I generally say that, you know, a lot of my friends are all still, you know, and I have some extremely wealthy friends, and not, but I think now we're having you normalizing what ownership is and what ownership can be, and what and having a new face on it rather than being a slave to a mortgage or a slave to tidying up a house or painting it or filling it up with couches you're not sitting in or storing books you're not utilizing, you know, and it's a huge shift in your in, in your perception on how you see yourself and how you see yourself in around the world. Do I? surround myself so many things or do I just get down to the things I love you know and and I think that's what they're doing they're pairing away of your life to the things that are that matter the most you know and I mean that's what Johnny Throw Pillows was all about absolutely was all, was, you uh, grab that home every time John every time and I noticed a couple of throw pillows right behind you and I like that homage <laughs> Um, oh god that, for people that don't know this is one of the ways that we used to kid with john is call him johnny throw pillows and why and in my mind it w- he was like a superhero and he had like throw pillows he could like show up and like he could pull out throw pillows like in endless supply and just lay them all around a tiny house and be like my job yeah and, oh we're done like I'm fluff done. them oh, a little bit on that couch. but the real story is it would be there's just like shot after gratuitous shot of Zach welding or grinding metal and sparks flying. And it's like, and Gab will be like, oh, this looks good. Let's do this in slow motion. And we've got these like gorgeous shots. And then it's like, oh, what's John doing? And it just goes over. It's like, oh, it's me with the throw pillows. Like, oh, you get a throw pillow. You get, I'm always like, I was always at the paint store with the girls looking at paint swatches. Or removing shoes from people's, like, you don't need all those shoes. That's true. I was like the shoe Nazi. Yeah, shoe pivot sure. at the thought of you coming near them. Like, oh no, he's going to throw me away. To this Not day, again. I only own one pair of sneakers. I just use them when well, I get another pair. There you go. There you go. Yeah, but so Gabby, I, I, I guess what I'm a little bit curious about as we as we talk about this tiny house movement is that it was just so nascent when we started. It, really was. it was very small. And in a lot of ways, it is way more relevant today than it was when we were actually doing the show, especially like for you and I, we live in Southern California and this exorbitant cost of, of living, homelessness, all of the things that are going on. And, and you know, and, and I think, I think tiny houses have this really unique space in that they can, I think they can touch a lot of different areas uh, in terms of, of of helping out, I don't think they're the the only solution, but I think they're part of a solution to a lot of different problems. Absolutely, and I think that's I think that's really interesting. Absolutely, it is, and certainly they're being utilized here for people who are short on, as helping the housing crisis that's happening here in Los Angeles. You know, there are some elements to it that 
the castle or trying to find situations to put these these smaller villages. But I do think that is you're right. I don't think there's one silver bullet for for humanity, but this is a long step in the right way. You know, for us all to take a diet from our homes. They're too big to heat. They're too big to fill with stuff we don't need. You know, the carbon footprint to heat them and all these things. And just get back to what we want to do. You know, spend time with our family and friends, sitting around a table having a talk. You know, sharing meal. Somewhere safe and warm and dry. It doesn't have to be huge to impress anyone to be full of love, you know, and getting back to that tiny home. It's home, you know, for people. Well, and it's it and it's prioritizing what is going to be important. And, you know, and Zach touched on it right at the very beginning in terms of finding a kindred soul in you and in himself and in guys like Woody. And it's this idea of experiences rather than things yes and and what those can build and you know one of the things that i marveled about you as i was getting to know you throughout the years was how year after year after year i kept hearing new stories of adventures i'm like what hasn't this guy done whether you're winning a regatta at the confluence of the white and blue nile you know in egypt or you know, or diving some like or being held know, hostage, watching someone <laughs> being held hostage. I mean, that actually, you know, it was one of the things we were talking about. What were you doing right before you came? Yeah, you were in, um, you were in India in the hotel that got bombed, taken over, yeah, by terrorists, and like spent the night in a uh, in a conference room, like hiding, locked in, trying to stay safe. It's a crazy world, and you know, you just have to move past those experiences and 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 learn from them and. Become, try to become a good person. And I think both having the, the experience of someone as loving and as nice as Zach to see him step up to hardship and only try to find love and joy in that moment and to make better work and stick at the work rather than kvetching about it was a joy. And then your, your exuberance for life, John, is just wonderful. And, and the way you would connect with each of the homes, family, homeowners, and it was my honor to tell your story and get to know you too, John, you know, and both you and Zach, I couldn't imagine my life without you now. And I feel as you guys are truly entwined within the tiny house world and will be for the rest of your lives. There is no other way for humanity but small homes. And, and that's, this is it. This is, this is the answer for all of us is for the earth to take a diet. And the first place to take a diet is we can do it with our homes. Yeah. Less mortgage, more time in up our sleeve, you know, more time with our families and our friends because time is maybe the only thing we have. That's going to be one of the bumper stickers. It's time for the earth to take a diet. I like that, Gav. Yeah, honestly, that is a sentiment that I've felt is missing in the world of, okay, what are we going to do in the future? It's this idea of, okay, well, how are we going to reduce our energy consumption? How are we going to conserve our resources? And I love that because I don't see it happening and, and being included nearly enough. So thank you, Gav being the one to bring that to the forefront and just also thank you for being here it was everything that i thought it would be the eloquence the poetry the gavinisms and the general tomfoolery was right on point so i appreciate it thanks a lot john bye zach bye john gav you're the best buddy Dude, it's so fun to get to speak with Gavin again. You know what I mean? It's like 
God, I we just had so much fun on that show. And I don't think that people realize how much influence Gavin had on Tiny House Nation because he was the one behind the camera there all the time. And, you know, when there's a little bit of an antidote, I mean, just so many times Gavin would be the one to kind of connect the dots between what was said and kind of what would be a really good kind of way to way to go with it. And, and so I always tried to like pay attention to what Gavin was kind of noticing. Yeah, he's a funny guy, right? He could feed you a line feed both of us a line here and there. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was awesome. And you know, I also to your point, sure. He was responsible for the visuals of it and it's a television show. So the visuals are really, really important, but just like you brought up at the beginning, he set the tone from episode one. He was a leader and he, and he basically was like, Hey, everybody, this is important. This isn't bad people behaving badly and we're putting them on TV. This is a real thing. So, we're going to push hard. And and with you and Gavin and Jess doing all that, it really set the tone. And I and I think that was a big, big reason the show worked. So I give him so much credit, along with yourself, along with along with Jess, and, and, and then everyone for following along. But he was so, so integral to the final product and so much fun to be with. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much an inspiration. And uh, always just... He just has a way of articulating. Oh, things. like he's never met a speech he didn't want to make. I know he's so good with. The, I love all the words. <laughs> I was going to say for somebody whose English isn't his is his second language, which is not true. You know they speak English <laughs> in Australia and in Ireland, right? I no. He just has he just has a a wonderful way with words and a wonderful perspective on the world, and um, he brings it to everything he does and he and he does it with energy and he is such a nice guy that you would never believe how serious his, he is when it's time to do the work you know to do his job as a, as a professional so it's pretty Im- impressive to see the flip switch the switch flip you mean the flip switch did i say the switch or the switch flip the flips yeah that's a that's a ski oh trick oh my god the flip Zach, switch? this is why we gotta hang out more man i miss all the weird things you say it's perfect <laughs> it's so good listen i can't think of a better place so two bumper stickers we've got the earth take a diet and we've got flip switch those are the two we're putting them out once the podcast goes live we're gonna make a million dollars i'm naming my boat flip switch from all the money we make from the bumper sticker okay, okay? Just put it on a hat for me. That's all I need. All right, buddy. All right. Thanks, John. I'll see you next week, my friend. Great to talk to you.